0: If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 9. The title of today's sermon is, is The Call to Discipleship. And Jesus said, now I'm going to be preaching out of the King James Version. I've had this Bible since I was saved. I was saved on March the 25th, 1973. And it's, it's, it's really worn I had to take some gorilla glue last night to glue the binding. If you've ever used gorilla glue, let me tell you something: you won't pull it apart. I promise you. So I ran some gorilla glue down there, and it's—I mean, so far it's staying. So, uh, and I was such a a young Christian. uh, I mean, the—and I got this the Schofield Reference Bible. Everybody knows what that is. And I wrote, a, uh, I wrote something in here because I was such a young Christian. I mean, and here's what I wrote. I said, this Bible belongs to God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, and James Reader. How about that? Now, that's how young I was. So uh, if you look in Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 23, and he said to them all, not just one or two of the, uh, the people— he said to them all, if any man, and I'm going to put uh, the Jim Reader version here, if any man, woman, boy, or girl will come after me, let him or her deny his or herself and take up his or her cross, his cross daily and follow me. That's pretty simple. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come into his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. I want you to look at the, the first word there after uh, he said to them all, if it's pretty simple to spell that word if. It's just two letters, i f. But it's much more than that. The word if appears precisely 1595 times from Genesis to Revelation in 1420 different versions in the King, uh, verses in the King James version. 1,595 times this word, if, appears. The word if is a conjunction. When I was in school, I wasn't the brightest lamp in the uh, candelabra, the brightest bulb. And (laughs) believe it or not, everybody thinks I'm really smart, but I'm not. So uh, the word if is a conjunction, which is, It's introducing a conditional clause. Now, the English teacher asked me, she says, she says, James, you know what a conjunction is? I said, yes, where crossroads meet, right? She said, that's a junction. (laughs) I said, okay, a conjunction is where convicts gather. (laughs) She says, no, it's a clause. It's introducing a conditional clause. And Jesus used the word if, quite a few times and almost half the 574 occurrences of the word if are in the New Testament or in the four Gospels. There are conditions set forth in the Scripture that if man does this or that, then God will do this or that. Now, what we try to do as human beings, we try so very hard to change it and say well god if you will do this i will do this it's called bargaining with god there is no bargaining chips here we often say and especially when we're we're in dire need or dire straits and and people say well i pray that god if you will do so and so then i will do so and so it doesn't work that way we often find ourselves sometimes in a dilemma where we are so desperate to get out of that dilemma that we want to really bargain with God and say, God, if you will do this, then I will do this. But that's not the way this thing works. We try to set the conditions with God by saying, God, if you will do this or that, then I will do this or that. But God says, if you will do this, then I will do this. So the conditions are set forth by God that if we act in a certain way, or we do a certain thing, then God will do this. And the word if always carries a promise with it. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what happens? Thou shalt be saved. That is a promise. So anytime that you see the word if on the side that God uses it on, there's always a promise that's going to follow that. It's all by the grace of God that we have the favors of God, not by bargaining with God. I want to tell you a story about a young man who was very eager to grow in his walk with Christ. Now, I started to bring some blank sheets of paper this morning and some pens and hand out to everybody. But I didn't want to create a, a, a drama, okay, I want this to be about Jesus and not about me and not about you. I want everything that we do here today to be solely and totally about Jesus Christ. This young man made a list of all the things he would do for God. He wrote down on a sheet of paper of all the things that he was going to give up. So he said, okay, I'm going to change the places I go. I'm going to start ministering to, pe- to people, and I'm going to start bearing witness. This was on his list. He became so excited about the list that he had drawn up. I mean, he was really ecstatic about it. So he took the list to church, and when the invitation was given, he took this list to the altar and placed it on the altar. And after doing so, he thought that he was going to have this, this overwhelming ecstatic feeling of great joy, but nothing happened. Nothing happened. He was so disappointed. He felt totally empty, and he thought he was going to have a tremendous filling of the Holy Spirit, but nothing happened. So he went home from church and started adding more and more things to this list of things that he wrote down, of things that he wouldn't do, and things that he would do. So the following Sunday, he took this long list to church. He put it on the altar again when the invitation was given, but he felt no sense of joy whatsoever. He thought he was going to have this inner peace that was beyond comprehension, but it didn't work. As a last resort, he went to see a wise and older pastor and explained what he had done And the list that he had made. Well, this wise pastor said, Son, take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom, put that on the altar. The young man did so, and then peace and great joy came into his heart. God wants the person, not a list of things that we promise to do or not do. He wants us to sign that piece of paper, blank sheet, put it on the altar, And God will take care of the rest. When you become a Christian and you give your life to Jesus Christ and you sign your name on that blank sheet of paper, God will tell you exactly what you need to do, how to bear witness, where to go, what not to do. Make no mistake about it. If you let God be in control of your life, you won't have the problems that you now face. Now let us look at uh, Matthew chapter 8 verse 28 through 34. I want to set the stage for the call of Matthew. Jesus visits Gadara, the country of the Gergesenes. There were two men who were possessed with demons. And as Jesus was passing by the tombs, or what we would call the cemetery. Now, back back in biblical times, they would would hone out their tomb before they died. Well, if you catch me digging my own grave, you know there's something wrong, okay? (laughs) You're not going to catch me digging my own grave. But they would do that ahead of time, so they would have a place of burial when they died. Well, these two men who were demon-possessed lived in what we would call the cemetery. They lived in a hone-out tomb that belonged to somebody else. And the Bible says that these demonic men were very fierce and no one would even go near these tombs for fear of being attacked. And let me share this with you. Demons are just as real as angels. Just as real. And make no mistake about that. Demons are the force of Satan that causes us to do things that are contrary to the Word of God. If you've never seen a demon in action... My friend, you don't want to see it because they are fierce and they are forceful and they can do bodily harm to an unbeliever. But they can't touch me because I am in Jesus Christ. And they have no authority over me. They have no authority over you as a believer in Jesus Christ because his blood covers us and cleanses us from all sin. And I have this this spiritual wall built around me. And the only way that Satan can attack is if I let that wall down. Well, when Jesus came by the cemetery or the tombs, they recognized him. How could that be? Because these demons were angels at one time. Jesus was in heaven. And when God cast Satan and his angels out, they already knew who Jesus was. So when he came by the cemetery, they recognized him as the Son of God and said, what have we to do with thee? Have you come to torment us before our time? So they knew that at one point in time, Jesus was going to return and come back and he was going to cast Satan and all the demons of hell back to where they came from, the abyss. So they, they begged Jesus that if he cast them out to let them go into a herd of swine, and Jesus, Jesus did so. And the Bible says the herd of swine ran violently, just crazy, down the steep hill into the Sea of Galilee. How many of y'all know that pigs can swim? Did y'all know that pigs can swim? How many did you know that? Anybody knew that? Pigs are excellent swimmers. You throw a pig in water, he's going to do this number right here. He's going to swim. They're Olympic swimmers. You can't, you can't drown a pig. They can swim. I never knew that. I had this friend in North Carolina. He owned a... Uh, he said, Jim, he said, you want to come see my pig parlor? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You have a pig parlor? Yeah, I've got a pig parlor. I thought I was gonna go see some pigs with lipstick and makeup on and eyelashes and all this kind of stuff, all dressed up with a new hairdo, and etc. Well, when I got there, it wasn't what I thought it was. It was a con- it was a huge concrete slab with a shelter over it, and it had pigs in each stall. And I said, this is the parlor? I said, this is the pig parlor. I don't want to come back. I said, look at all this ham, bacon, and all this stuff right here. <laughs> and so this is, I think, this is what made the people and gatherers so angry was but when Jesus cast these demons out and they ran into the sea and they all drowned. Now, if pigs are swimmers and they can swim, they're Olympic swimmers, how could they drown? Because this was a miracle of Jesus. Believe it or not, pigs swim. But when they they were filled with these demons and they ran off into the steep, ran off the steep hill into the, uh, uh, into the water, they drowned. Now a demon has to have a living organism in order to operate. Yeah. They just don't float around here in the air. They can, you're talking about people demon-possessed. People can be demon possessed as these men were. So the herders of these pigs ran into the city and told everything that had happened. This must have angered the citizens tremendously, because some of them may have had herds of goats may have had herds of sheep and herds of cattle. And they thought, well, if he did this to swine, I don't want this to happen to my herds of whatever. So they met Jesus probably at the city limits and said, Hey, we don't want you here. You have to leave. Now let me share this with you. I don't know how many times Jesus had visited, visited Gadara, if ever, prior to this event. But I do know this is the last time of any mention of him ever going to that city again. Christ will not tarry long where he is not wanted and woe unto the person who asked God to leave me alone. And I've heard people say that. I've heard people say, I just want God to leave me alone. I don't believe in him. I don't want him. I don't need him. Now I'm going to tell you a story. This is a true story. There was a man in the hospital who had been witness to numerous times. Numerous times. And on his deathbed... This is no joke, folks. On his deathbed, he began to scream, My feet are burning up. I am so hot. I can't stand the pain. And I shared with you last time I I spoke about my brother, whom I had a dream about, about him going to heaven. And that dream was so real. And this man that was without Christ was dying, and I believe he was feeling. I believe he was feeling the pits of hell, as he was dying. So, this is what I would call sending one's day of grace away, is when you keep keep putting off Christ, you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off, time and time again, and then no longer. Will you feel the presence of God in your life if you keep doing so? You begin to build this shell, this armor around you. You begin to build this wall around you. And you just tell Jesus, I don't want to know you. I don't want anything to do with you. Why? Because it, makes, it will make a change in your life, and some people just don't want to change. Look in the... Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Now, Jesus left Gadara. He had to get on a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee to Capernaum. And that was the city of his principal residence at the time, and the Bible says it was called his own city. Now, Matthew 9, 9 says, And Jesus passed passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. The Bible says he arose and followed him. Now, I feel quite sure that the people of Capernaum had heard about Jesus. They had probably heard about the herd of swine. They had probably heard about the paralytic man that he had, had just recently healed. And truly the words that, that Jesus spoke to Matthew were so compelling that this man, Jesus, was different from anyone that he had ever met in his entire lifetime. The call that Jesus had was a beckoning call. It could have been one of these with a nodding of the head and a piercing of the eyes and say, Come. Come, follow me. Have you ever done that to somebody just say, beckon them? No? come on. Come on. Sure you have. And this is what Jesus did to Matthew. But can you imagine the eyes of Jesus looking and piercing your eyes into the very depths of your soul? And I think this is what happened to Matthew, that when Jesus looked into Matthew's eyes, it didn't just go into his vision, it went into the vision of his heart. And Jesus could see into Matthew's soul. And Matthew understood that, that he could see into his soul. Look in Luke chapter 5, verse 28. The Bible says that Matthew left all rose up and followed Jesus. The power words, follow me, was enough to unseat Matthew from his present condition. He was very comfortable where he was. He made lots of money. He had a very good lifestyle. He had lots of influential friends. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, his lifestyle was about to change. And I firmly believe that that Matthew did not ponder nor did he hesitate about the call that he received from Jesus. I believe that man got up immediately and I believe that he rose up and he followed Jesus until the day that he died. The one thing that Matthew did at that point in time was make a commitment to Jesus who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Make no mistake about it. If we make that kind of commitment, God will see us through to the end. But I wonder sometimes, am I committed that way? Have I ever signed my name on a blank sheet of paper and just let God just have everything? Just let him have everything. Jesus may be calling someone to rise up from the depths of despair of sin that you find yourself in and above your circumstances, and take his yoke upon you. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 30, through 30 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, okay? A yoke has two collars. A collar for Jesus and a collar for you. Take my yoke upon you. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When I was, uh, when I was saved by the grace of God, I had such a weight, such a weight on me. It was the heaviest weight I had ever known in my life. And I didn't know how heavy this weight was until I found Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. All the sins that I have committed had weighted me down. And when I got saved on March the 25th, 1973, that weight was lifted. I felt so much lighter. The heavy burden that I was under all these years for 26 years suddenly disappeared. They were gone. And I didn't know what life was until I started living for Christ. Now I'm not saying it's been, you know, a a bed of rose petals all this time. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. But there are three aspects of the call to discipleship that are more importantly than the requirements of becoming a disciple of Christ. Number one is self-denial. Matthew becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ is not just tagging along. Jesus didn't say to Matthew, come on, just, you know, come on, we're, do what we're going to do. Come join the little party here. We're going to go visit this place and this place and this place. You can just tag along. My friend, being a disciple is not just tagging along for the ride. It is a commitment of discipleship. And we can become so secure in Jesus Christ that nothing can shake us. But we have to make that commitment. The Bible says in Luke 14, verse 25 through 27, And there were great multitudes with him. And he turned and said unto them all, If any man come to me and hate not his father his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty strong statement. We have what we call natural affection. That is, I love my wife. I love my granddaughters. I love you know, my brothers and my sisters and so forth and so on. But Jesus wants us to love him so much that it looks like we actually hate these people. That's what it's saying here, that our love is so overwhelming that the love that we have for other people seems like hate, seems like, not is. And after the resurrection, Jesus uh, Jesus appeared unto his disciples for a while Uh, There was no time that, that they did not see Jesus. And you look in John chapter 21, verse 3, the disciples didn't see Jesus for a while. So Peter says, okay, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing because Jesus wasn't there. And his disciples said, wait a minute, you're going fishing? Oh, man, we're going with you. Now, I'm not a fisherman. If I go fishing, if I haven't caught anything in five minutes, I'm out of here, folks. I'm out of here. If I want fish, I know where the fish market is. And I don't have to sit there hour after hour after hour to try to catch a fish. I don't have to spend anything on bait. I don't have to waste my time hoping that a fish is going to bite. So these disciples didn't have Jesus at this particular time so, because Jesus was going other places. This was after his resurrection. So Peter and his disciples said, okay, we'll just go fishing. Well, they had fished all night. Man, I'm not going fishing and fish all night. If I'm starving, I'll just eat grass. But I am not going to fish all night. So these guys were out there fishing all night. And you know the rest of the story. They were out there fishing. They were casting off the left side and Man, they weren't doing anything. They they had to become totally frustrated. So they saw this man on the shore, and that man was Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he shouted, Peter, throw on the right side of the boat. He says, what? Who's this man telling me how to fish? I've been fishing all my life. Who is this stranger? Peter, throw on the right side of the boat. So Peter throws the net on the right side of the boat. What happens? He catches a net full of fish. And the Bible, the Bible says there's 153 in there. 153 fish? They must have brought that net ashore. We get one, two, three, four, five. Can you imagine counting 153 fish? I can't. After they had dined, the Bible says that Jesus said to, to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? What was he saying? He was asking Peter, Do you love your boat? Do you love your fishing? Do you love your fish? Do you love your nets? Do you love going out to the sea? Do you love playing golf? I don't know if they played golf more than me. Do you love these things more than me? And Peter says, No, Lord, I don't love these things more than you. And he says, Peter, who do you love? He said, Lord, he said, you know, I love you. I'm not going to give you the three words for the love in the Greek. You already have heard that a hundred times, but Peter says, Lord, I do love you more than I love my boat, my net, my fishing and all this stuff. He says, if you do feed my sheep, in other words, be, be my disciple. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38 says, and he that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. Didn't say that you wouldn't go to heaven. He just says we're not deserving of his salvation. Now, I'm not. I'm not deserving of it. But you know what? He died for me. Jesus died on the cross for me. For whosoever... Shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall I be saved. For God so loved me and you that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have life everlasting. <laughs> Taking up your cross is not an easy road. It's hard, it's spiritual warfare on a daily basis. If it's a never ending battle of hardships and difficulties to live for Christ. I'm, you know, I'm not going to play, uh, pretend that it's not. It is a hard life. I may lose a battle every now and then and come uh, come out of it with scars, but ultimately, I know who will win the war, and that's King Jesus. Hallelujah. And I'm on the right side, folks. I'm on the right side. I'm not on the left side. I'm on the right side. I'm fishing off the right side because that's where Jesus is. You know what I mean? So, The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, The road is not wide, neither is the gate. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be go in thereat. There's another requirement, and that's crucifying our flesh. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 5, 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And lust doesn't always mean, doesn't have always a sexual connotation to it. It could have lust for money. It could have a lust for driving fast cars. It could have a lust for football games. It could have a lust for anything that takes place before Jesus Christ. Now, I love football as good as the next person. Of course, I'm an Alabama fan. I know y'all are probably crimson, crimson folk, Clemson fans. <laughs> but anyway... The Bible says, let not sin therefore reign or control your mortal body. I was riding a horse once, and this was a big, one of those big tall brown horses. I don't know what kind of horse you call it, but I said, boy, I'm going to be like Roy Rogers. <laughs> man, I'm going to ride this thing down this dirt road. And I got that thing. Wow, boy, I was, I was just getting it, man, down on that horse. I was having myself a ball. I said, man, this is a, if I just had a six-gun, you know, I, I would be okay. And I was riding that horse, and all of a sudden, that horse makes a right turn, and where did I go? I ate up that dirt road. I had a mouthful of dirt. That horse went this way. I went this way. Whoever was riding that horse was used to turning right on another dirt road. Well, that horse thought, I'm supposed to go that way. Okay? I didn't go right. I went straight ahead. But that's what the scripture's saying here. See, so I was just holding on to the reins, but that horse decided, hey, "Dude, I'm not going that way." So don't let sin, therefore, control your mortal body. You need to be in control of through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Following Jesus requires living by faith. Look in Romans chapter one, verse seventeen. I think all that stuff is up here on the screen. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We are justified by the blood of Christ. So the just shall live by faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. I had a hard time with that. And I realized that, that faith is blind. Did you know that faith is blind? It really is. To have a blind faith means that you trust God for everything, in every circumstances, all circumstances. You totally trust God because a faith in Christ is a blind faith. He will take care of everything, every need that we have. Because if I walk by sight, I'm going to get in the way of God's work. I'm going to get in the way of God's doing if I walk by sight. Because I don't have Apparently, I don't have 20-20 vision. God has excellent vision. He knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. And I, and I just imagine, God's, God knows what I'm going to do next before I do it. How miraculous is that? Now, I have a choice of making right decisions and making wrong decisions. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. In other words, he's talking to uh, people who are disciples of Christ. He said, okay, uh, if you draw back, I will not be happy if you draw back. The Bible says if a person puts his hand to the plow and looks back, he is not worthy of the kingdom of God. It didn't say you wouldn't go. As a young lad, my grandfather used a regular plow. You know the plow stalks you walk behind the mule? His new mule's name was Jack. And and my grandfather would put me on the crossbar on that stock on that plow. I would hold on to his overall straps, and I would just be as happy as a tick on a dog. I would stay on that plow just as long as he plowed. I was so excited. He would come by the house on his wagon on Saturday he would make cane juice and boiled peanuts. Anybody ever had cane juice? Nope? Oh, man, you haven't lived. You had boiled peanuts? You've lived. <laughs> okay, so I had cane juice and boiled peanuts, and he would take, he had this big, huge barrel, and in that barrel he, had, he would stop by the ice house where you get a block of ice. You don't know what an ice house is either, do you? Huh? You got a refrigerator, and that has an ice house in it, automatic. Okay, we would stop by the ice house and get ice and put in this barrel, to keep the cane juice cold. It was in bottles, had cork in the top. and had to boil peanuts. I have no idea where I was going with this. <laughs> I have no clue, folks. Yeah, so, uh, so anyway, the, thank you. So my grandfather would, would put me on this plow, and I would be holding on to those overall straps, And if he looked back, his rows would be going like this, but he wanted straight rows. And that's what the Bible is talking about here. If you put your hands to the plow, don't look back where you came from. Look where you were going. Because if you look back, your rows are going to be crooked. Didn't say you wouldn't go to heaven. Just says that, you know, that we might not be worthy. First Peter, excuse me, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. My brethren, count it all, joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Man, when we have an attack from sin, do you ever think that we can learn from it? Of course we can. And he says that, you know, that we need to have the patience of Christ. And if we have these temptations that come upon us and we... Power through these, through the power that Christ has put through in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will work patience in our life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 6, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You ever had manifold temptations? Boy, I have. It didn't seem like sometimes they would ever stop. The last thing is following Jesus requires a lifestyle separate from the world. James chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what pure religion is: an undefiled before God, and the Father is this: to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I don't know how you are when you eat a hot dog with mustard, ketchup, chili, and onions, all that stuff on it. And uh, if you put tomatoes on it, I don't even even want to talk to you. If you eat hot dog (laughs) with tomatoes on it, I'm just kidding. And spaghetti. I have to wrap myself in cellophane to keep that stuff off me. When I bite into the hot dog, the mustard runs out the other end. So I thought about this. Okay, I'll switch it, and I'll bite it on this end. That'll work. Didn't work. Mustard still ran out the other end. And nine times out of ten, it gets on my shirt. And then I have to go get the shout or resolve or whatever, spread on there and rub it really well. Well, see, we don't have to do that. We have Jesus, his blood, that cleanses us from all sin. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2 says, Beseech you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Whenever you face a narrow, hard, bumpy road on the, on the, or the wide paved road, most will choose the easier route. This is what I call the interstate to destruction and ultimately hell. Jesus said, narrow is the gate that leads to him. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. And it seems that human nature gravitates toward that which is not good for the soul, good for the body, good for the spirit. Worldly things that fulfill the lust of the flesh could be almost anything. And we won't name a bunch of different things, but you know what they are. When faced with the reality of denying themselves to follow Jesus, most will turn the other way. John chapter 6, verse 66. If you will read that sometime today or this week, read the verses immediately before John six sixty-six and the verses that follow thereafter. You will get more out of it than what I'm about to tell you. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They said, okay, this is too tough. I can't do this. I can't continue being a disciple. It's too hard. It causes too much turmoil in my life. It causes this or it causes that. But let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He is still on the throne. And if we let him control our lives and have a discipleship relationship with him, we won't have to worry about all the turmoil and all the struggles that so many people deal with. Somebody asked me one time, what do you have to do to spend eternity in hell? What do you have to do? I told him, I said, nothing. Just don't do anything. Don't do anything. That's where you're going if you don't know Jesus. (laughs) People say, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, hell is mentioned more times in the scripture than heaven is. If there's not a hell, there's not a heaven. And there's not a heaven, there's not a hell. But let me rest assure you, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And the Bible speaks explicitly about that. So some people say, well, what do you have to do to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven? Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And here comes the word if. Here comes the word if. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If, I-F, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the promise. This is a stipulation. If you do this, God will do this. And there's the promise that God has for every non-believer. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, there is no mistake about it, you will be born again. And you can't beat that. Man, March the 25th, 1973, when I went down to that altar, holy Jesus Man, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I've told people about this. When I hit that altar, I had my eyes closed. Tears were streaming down my face like like a leaking dam. And I saw the brightest light that I had ever seen in my entire life. And to this day, I haven't seen that light again. Because the light is within me. The light is within me. And that light is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as I wept there on that altar, I didn't have this long list. I just had it up to me. <laughs> and Jesus filled me with his power and his presence of the Holy Spirit. And he saved my soul from eternal damnation. The Bible says for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's another promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I invite you, if you're here, you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. Oh, my friend, you have no idea. You have no idea what you're missing. To be totally cleansed of every evil, bad, despicable thing that you've done. To have Jesus Christ come into your life and to cleanse every spot and to iron out every wrinkle is a miracle in itself. How can Jesus take such a vile person such as I was and cleanse me up, wash me thoroughly, white as snow, and set my feet on the solid rock? I still did not understand it, but he did. He fulfilled his promise. If I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. And I trust if you're watching online, if you're here, you've never accepted Jesus, that you will make this time, this day, your day of salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, I thank you, Father, for your presence here this morning from the moment we walked in. And I pray until the moment we leave, we will know that God is with us. That he has manifested himself today, not because of me, but because Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's him that we came to honor. It's him that we came to glorify. And I pray for everyone that is here, that, Lord, that we can answer that call to discipleship, that we'll take that blank piece of paper, we'll write our name at the bottom, we'll put our signature there, we'll put it on the altar in our home, wherever we pray, and we'll just say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, you just fill in the blank spaces, and I'll do it. And I pray that you'll show us how to do that that you'll give us the spiritual stamina and the courage to become your disciple and forsake all others and cling only unto you. Lord, we love you. I love you. And I bless your holy and precious name Amen. and thank you for the precious gift of your Son, Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. In his name I pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from Life Point Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart.